Blessing from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio 4, Friday, June 20th, 2014. Hey, this week we're coming to you from the Violand Executive Summit at the home of the Pro Football Hall of Fame at Kent State University in Canton, Ohio. We've got a great lineup of industry professionals here. We've got a baker's dozen, huh, Cliff? That's right. Got a baker's dozen. Thirteen industry professionals are joining us. They're all here at the summit. And we're going to uh, go down the list and get their thoughts on their particular portion of the industry. Today's segments will include that interview. We'll go to halftime. Let's see if our technical director, I don't see our technical director on, but uh, he may come in a little bit later, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at John Don, J-O-N-D-O-N. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanclenfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right. You can download the show from our website, iaqradio.com. You can stream live from there or download by following the link that says go to show. And, of course, we have continuing education credits available from ABIH, the IICRC, and the ACAC. Send me an email at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. We've got a great lineup today. I just want to go down the list real quick of our guests. We've got Brian O'Halleck, the president of the IICRCA. We'll go with the uh, council or the association uh, as the abbreviation on that one. We've got Andy Robinson and Bill Yaden from John Don, Tony Wheelwright, the president of the IICRC, Pedro Perez, the owner of Perez Restoration Contractors. He's a Moore Floods member and an expert in the Latino market. Tammy Stokes, Oklahoma. Disaster Restoration, DKI Diamond Services member and a longtime Violin client, a strong female voice for the industry. We've got Mr. Ross Driscoll, the owner of Driscoll & Driscoll Insurance. Mr. Mark Wellstead, the president of Rainbow International. Scott Stamper, the RIA president. And get my pages here. We've got Mickey Lee, the Viola, he's now with Violin Business Development, um, and I think everybody knows Mickey from his role with the IICRC and Munters, and of course Jeff Cross, the editor of Clean Facts Magazine, hopefully Kent Rawhauser, the president of the Indoor Air Quality Association, will be joining us in a little bit. I think I got everybody, Cliff. I'm going to turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Either text it in via your computer or you can email it to cslotnick at cs.com. Congratulations. (laughs) 
to Doug Conan, Aerotech Environmental, Dayton, Ohio, for naming Peter Drucker as the Austrian-born American management consultant, educator, and author who was a leader in the development of management education and conceived the concept known as management by objectives. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, June 20th, 2014, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for well over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the business book that investigates the question, why are some companies able to achieve and sustain success through multiple generations of leaders across decades and even centuries? Among the findings are preserve the core, stimulate progress, big, hairy, audacious goals, and genius of the mind. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. All right, we're going to start today with the John Don guys. We've got Andy Robinson, we've got Bill Yaden, and uh, I think a lot of our listeners know them from past shows, and of course they're uh, marquee sponsors of the show. We appreciate that. They're also uh, the what do we call it today? Conference here, just uh, displaying at the conference Sponsor. here. I don't know sponsors. I don't, couldn't come up with that word, Andy. I don't know why. Uh, they're sponsoring at the conference here, and they've got to get back. So we're going to go ahead and start with Andy Robinson. Uh, hurricane season. We're in a hurricane season. What is the best prep advice with respect to equipment and supplies for people considering chasing out of town cat work? I uh, appreciate the question, Joe. Um, I, you know, I think there's several things that clients have to evaluate before going on to CAT. Uh, first and foremost, I think what we need to look at is making sure that you have a signed job before you roll the trucks down to the southeast or the northeast or wherever that CAT may be. So send your sales and marketing crew in first, secure the job, and then be able to get your large resources down there rapidly. Um, second thing I think is uh, critical is aligning yourself with other clients that may already be um, in the region or their core business is in the region and try to work collectively with them. Uh, in terms of um, supplies, I think members need to consider and review a secondary line of consumable goods. Um, if a vendor or hypothetically a manufacturer sells out, a secondary line of chemicals or consumables um, should be pre-approved by your team uh, to obtain. You may not always have your first choice available during an event. Um, another thing that needs to be considered is uh, the chemicals itself. Um, recommendation would be make sure you have a combination of both ready-to-use products and concentrate. You know, we've seen in some disaster events where clients have gone in maybe with a concentrated product, but there was a lack of water available to be able to mix that. So you need to be diversified in the chemistry that you're bringing down and consider both RTU and concentrate. Um, <clears throat> I think another key element that needs to be looked at is, you know, if you're going to be involved in CAT events, you need to have strong um, financials and strong credit lines available. So a good tidbit would be to establish great lines of credit with your bank, um, your supplier, um, even consider uh, being pre-approved pre through leasing companies prior to going into an event. That way, if you're needing to make capital investments, you've already secured your financial lines. You could pay down the, the existing line so that you're ready before the season starts, if you can, obviously. Correct. Uh, all right, well, great. Thanks a lot for that, Andy. Let's go to Bill for a moment, and then we'll, we'll come back. We've got another one for Andy. 
Bill, you're the, the John Don strategies for success guy, and you're the training guy. And I, I, I came up, I, I'm curious, historically, uh, which courses have been the most positive um, and had the most positive effect on attendees and why? I think we'd have to break that down to two different areas. We would go to our technical classes, which, of course, would be IICRC classes. For many years, uh, carpet cleaning technician was the first class and was the strongest class. But over the last three years, the water damage WRT class has blown everything else away, and I think you'll hear later from IICRC, it greatly has just dwindled, I mean, everybody else. Uh, that's going to be the biggest one. we got a class next month that's going to have 60 people. we got to cut it off, and we're already still a month away from that. So water is blowing everything else out of the, out of the water. No problem. <laughs> I think the other side, of course, what has the most effect on a business overall is always going to be strategies for success. It has nothing to do with technical. It has everything to do with running your business. And we have found over the last couple of decades that people don't fail in business because they can't do something technical. They fail in business because they can't run a business. I was really thrilled today to see that when Andy asked everybody to stand up in the, in the meeting this morning about who had attended that class, and somewhere just under a half of the people in this room actually stood up. I mean, I, I thought I had a tear in my head. <laughs> it was, I, was, I was impressed by that, actually. I thought about 80 people stood up. Yeah. That, that was great. Fantastic. All right, let's go back to Andy for just a minute. This is one. Cliff, do you want to? Sure, I'm sorry, I, I jumped in. I always do this to Cliff. I no problem. <laughs> Andy, what new product should firms serious about restoration consider purchasing and why? Well, one of the new things that uh, seems to be getting quite a bit of traction, I don't know if it's new, it's an old technology, but it's been reintroduced, are foaming devices. And we're hearing a lot about foaming devices that are used for multitudes of applications, fire applications, water damage, sewage, um, mold remediation. And, and really what we love about the foaming devices is it allows us to take existing chemistry, surfactants, and cleaners and allow them to apply it to surfaces where we can get more dwell time on the surface, which actually supports more effective cleaning. It gives us a visual to identify uh, where we have treated the product. It also helps to reduce in chemical consumption and chemical loss. So foaming devices are something that I would encourage, you know, clients to maybe take a peek at. They're available in a couple different methods from uh, handheld pump-up to larger uh, um, tank systems. And, again, it's kind of changing how we're looking at effectiveness of cleaning. Would you agree that it offers some safety aspects as well versus spraying? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when we think about spraying and if we're dealing with a, um, a vertical surface or in an attic, hypothetically, you know, there always can be chemical fallout, whether it's a compression sprayer, whether it's an airless. So sometimes it may change that scope of personal protective equipment, you know, and having to go to a higher level. Um, certainly, we still need to be concerned about PPE, whether, you know, we're using a foaming device. But again, I love the fact that it can literally cling and hang to that surface um, and less chance that it may be hitting me as the technician or getting on my suit. And would you agree it might even contain what's on that surface as well? Absolutely. Loose debris or mold spores or something? Absolutely. Again, we almost have a shaving cream effect where it's going to literally cling to the surface and make for cleaner wiping. Great advice. With fire, I, I, that's the first I'd heard about foaming and fire. What are we foaming with the fire? So if we have a wall, let's say the wall is sooted up, whether it's a piece of sheetrock or even we have an external brick uh, structure, uh, we could take degreasing agents, again, a good surfactant, apply it to the surface. Whether we're hand washing or even maybe doing some pressure washing, we have that ability to get more dwell time. 
better soil suspension because we're clinging to the surface. Okay. Yeah, usually you hear dwell time in, in when people are trying to kill something, but soil suspension also is Absolutely. important with dwell time. All right, great. Let's go back to Bill for just one more. Okay. All right, Bill, let's see. I know we had, uh, yeah, but you teach a lot of courses. You talked about the most popular courses, I think. Those are the, those are the WRT. Um, and then you talked a little bit about the uh, the strategies for success program as well. I guess I'm, I'm a little curious about the, some of the other courses. Have you seen any trends with respect to some dropping off or more any others picking up? Yes, very definitely. It seems like, and I hate to say this with Jeff Cross right here, but <laughs> our color repair class, anything that gets a little bit more technical, we're having a very difficult time getting people in. Uh, it's the base core classes that seem to continue to grow and getting more popular. So anytime we bring in a specialty, it seems to be a little bit more difficult. We are bringing in a trauma course in just a few weeks, matter of fact, with Bill Wagon. We're really excited about that one coming in. We've got some good uh, interest in that right now. We're doing that as a test course. We'll run anything at John Don if people will come. And so I'm really excited about that one. I think that may be the next one because as we see that whole field of trauma start to really develop, we really need the certification and the proper training. So I think that's critical, and those are the ones that we'll be doing. In addition to anything that's hands-on, hands-on is still most of our technicians always want to learn by hand-on. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's always a popular course. Yeah. And then the technician course, well, you think you've got a bigger pool for technician courses. You know, as you move up the ladder, it's a little tougher. It, it is, and I, I think that's where they start to move in. If they truly are interested, they go to their journeyman, and then they go to the master's. And the guys that get to the masters are really the ones that want to know everything possible about the technical side of the business. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, thanks for joining us. I Thank you, guys. We've got a booth here, and you are sponsors. I don't know why I couldn't really, I can't <laughs> that word today, but uh, thanks again for joining us. Our pleasure. All right, we're going to um, just want to check on something. Cliff's got an answer, I think. You got the right answer? We'll find out. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, we got it first. Oh, uh, well, that's a photo finish. We'll figure that out later. All right, let's move on. I, I want to get back. I want to talk a little bit. We've got Pedro. Let's see. And we've got to move people around a little bit. My notes are all shuffled up. Pedro Perez, he's the owner of Perez Restoration Contractors, a Moore Floods member. And uh, we wanted to bring him in. And then you heard a name mentioned a moment ago. Yes, Jeff Cross is in the house. So we're going to bring Jeff in next as well. And uh, Pedro, welcome and thanks for joining us. Appreciate well, it. First of all, I want to say thank you for letting me speak in for, for the Latino community. And um, I want to say thank you to Violin Management and uh, Marflot, uh, um uh, organization as well. Um, there is not an uh, organization out there for Latino community at this point right now that can help us to move forward and grow as a, a business person. Um, so far, um, I... I I think the community, uh, Latino community, uh, it's, it's growing. A lot of more people is getting into business. Uh, there is not much help in Spanish out there. There's not much uh, um, information that we can get in Spanish. Uh, no Are there any courses in Spanish? So far, I haven't seen many. Okay. Only I, I can think a carpet cleaning uh, uh, program that I that I know so far. Not not in the restoration part. I've got a good friend who listens pretty regular, Carlos Gonzalez Boothby out of Puerto Rico. He's been on me to get a couple courses translated, and that's when I met you, I thought about that, and I, I definitely would like to focus on that a little bit more. One of the questions we had for you was, um, you know, when you're uh, as a Latino, do you 
encounter any prejudice or any double standard in when you're dealing with insurance claims? We do. Um, not that much, but I would say out of 100%, maybe 10%, we do run into issues like that. Okay. Uh, most of the times we, uh, you know, we, we do uh, get help from them, and we also get business from them as well. Now, this is the people, the homeowners themselves. And um, do you think it's because the, it, they're Latino or maybe because they're poor or both? Or is it maybe I'm assuming it's the poor people who get this? Um, a lot of times I, I think it is the poor uh, part of the, 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 the Latino community. But, uh, you know, we, we, we do work with, uh, I would say, 70% uh, Americans and 30% Latinos. And you're in Southern California, right? Yeah, we're based in Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles, yeah. California. But I, I think one of the issues is that, you know, when you're dealing with an adjuster and you think that, you know, he's not doing the right thing, a lot of times, you know, you can turn that conversation. You know, if this was your mother's house, what would you do? And I think a lot of times that can, you know, bring them back into focus in terms, you know, that they weren't doing the wrong thing here, maybe, or, or they weren't doing the right thing here, maybe, maybe they should adjust. I guess in terms of, you know, Joe and I were thinking about it yesterday. We thought of all the different things that we do. There, there's training, there's products, there's equipment, there are manuals, and all these things have instructions written. Software. And, correct, software. I mean, like Xactimate and, and, and so on and so forth. And I suspect that you have difficulty being able to get, you know, computer software that uh, a technician uh, whose first language might be Spanish, you know, can in, input into. Is, is that a problem? Uh, it is a problem, but uh, most of our employees are bilingual, so we really don't have that much problem with that. But there, there is some times that we have some technicians that we have to train them because they don't speak English or they don't read English. But we do have some issues sometimes with that. You've taken a lot of courses. I, I assume you have some certifications, maybe from the IICRC. Is it is it more difficult for you to um, take the exam or to listen to the instructor speak? Or I mean, maybe, you're obviously very well spoken, but maybe for your guys, even what's what's the hardest part for them? Is it? I think the hardest part that they have is reading. English because uh, English uh, you write English one way and pronounce it different way so that's the hardest part I think that's the issue that we're running into a lot of times. I see. Well, great and thanks for joining us. Your lovely wife's here too. We just wanted to say hello and uh, we really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you very but much. Let's bring Jeff Cross in for a minute here. Jeff, good to see you. Jeff, hello, Joe and Seth, how are you guys? Oh, that's awesome. Great to have you. It's been a lot of fun here this week. Uh, what a great group of people. A sold out house here at the Violand Executive Summit. And uh, for some reason, I lost your questions here, Jeff, but I will get right to that in just a moment. There we go. All right. Most people know Jeff's the editor of Clean Facts magazine. They also know most that he does courses as well out there. And uh, I'm curious with respect to Clean Facts, let's start with that. Which subjects are your readers most interested in? Where, where do you get the most response or the most requests or whatever way you'd like to present? Okay. Well, what we, want, what we do at Clean Facts is we talk to our subscribers. So we ask them what they need, what they want. So we get that in training seminars, through emails and phone calls. So what you see in the magazine is what's requested. Um, I would say that thinking of some of the topics, uh, the tech tips that we run are very popular. Could be carpet cleaning, furniture cleaning, restoration, hard floor care. And what I find 
very satisfying is when I get a call or an email from a company and they say, we use those in our training seminars, in their internal training. So I know they're being used. Um, another to- hot topic would be business building uh, tips, especially marketing. Uh, big request a tip would be how to get more customers and get more jobs. Well, there's lots of ways to do that, but that's something we talk about. And we do two big features every year uh, to bring in from the industry what others are doing. It's called our Industry Leaders Review. So we do one on restoration in August, and we do one on carpet cleaning in January. And what we do is we profile three or four companies, ask questions to get their success story, which we then share with the industry. So tons of great information on what others are doing because we all know that you learn best from other people, kind of a how we did it feature. Uh, something we started this year is called Wisdom from the Street. We run it every couple of months, and what we do is we go on social media and we ask questions to, uh, to the entire industry as to how they do things. Now, it could be technical, it could be marketing, it could be business building. Um, and we get so much feedback, and we filter and then publish in the magazine and online what, what they have to say. Uh, so I guess our goal is to provide an even mix of cleaning and restoration. We're not just a carpet cleaning magazine, not just a restoration magazine. We do it all. So it's information for everyone. Perfect. Um, I understand that CleanFacts just did a survey, survey rather. Mm-hmm. There were some surprising findings or interesting findings, and can you comment on that? Yeah, I'm curious to hear this. How much time do I have? <laughs> What's, what a couple, a couple minutes, okay. What surprised you? Well, the, it's our restoration benchmarking survey report. It'll be in the July issue. It'll be online in a day or two as well. Uh, some comments that came in that surprised me was how the restoration contractors uh, we know they have issues with the insurance industry, but maybe not as deep as it goes. Uh, they really complained about the relationships they're trying to build, um, a challenge to get the invoices paid, even though they do a really good job and a document documentation is there. So they wanted to know why can't we be treated like other industries, like the healthcare industry. I remember one specific comment uh, from one su- subscriber was, why can't we just get paid like the doctors do? You go to the doctor, you're a patient, you get a service, your insurance company pays them directly. So I don't know how practical that would be for what, what our subscribers do, but it was one of the uh, comments that was given to us. Uh, another one commented on how he's tired of being in the field, doing the work, and kind of doing the adjuster's job as well, not getting fair compensation for it. So the adjuster sends them out, asks them for pictures, kind of lets him do his job. So that was another frustration. Together and uh, yeah, yeah, the eyes in the field. Um, finding good workers, of course, was another concern. And what's nice about the Violin Summit here is you're getting good information on how to find good people. So I, I liked seeing that today. Um, another one made a comment about how there's a continuing. This is a quote: a continuing collusion between insurance companies and standardized estimating software companies. I don't want to get into that too much, but um, and I'm not going to oh, mention on. who that was. Said that. But I guess it's something to think about and talk about. Is is there a collusion? Is there something that could be done to make it better and easier to work with, um, matching these two industries up? Finally, uh, someone complained about the weather. There's not enough storms, hurricanes, tornadoes. Well, <laughs> I wish Clean Facts could order that up for you guys, but we'll just have to see what Mother Nature will do. Well, that's that's great stuff, Jeff. We appreciate you joining us as always, and uh, thank you. We appreciate the sponsorship as well. Pleasure, Cliff. 
you uh, have anything you want to add at this point? I think we're close. No, we're no cigar. On the, let's, let's move Tammy in here. Come on, Tammy. Get up there. You're new to our listeners. I, I need to get Tammy Stokes. She's the owner of Oklahoma Disaster Restoration. We've got an Okie in the house here. Thank you. Uh, yep. BKI. We've had um, one of your neighbors down there, Richard Shaughnessy. Dr. Shaughnessy's joined us quite a few times. I can't yeah. remember anybody else from Oklahoma, though. Well, it's, it's great to have you on the, on the you. show here. All right, let's let's get a couple quick questions for Tammy. You're representing the female side of the disaster restoration industry for us, and and we do appreciate that. Um, what first? Let's start with you. What what got you going here? You, what is it? Genetics? Your background? What kind of background? What experience? What prepared you to run a business? And what's a male-dominated profession. Well, um, I think there is certainly some genetics to this. I have a very strong personality. Um, I'm I'm a DI on the disc test, strong D. So yeah, I'm a driver. Um, I was a firstborn child, um, but growing up, I had you know struggles as a child, and I just had to pick myself up by the bootstraps and go. Is your family so, in this business, or my family? No, no, that's unusual for my. I'm married into it. You mar- oh, okay, okay. So, okay, that's interesting. And what else were you, uh, um, any construction background or anything like that? Actually, no. I um, studied accounting in school, and I was a CPA, and I was I did auditing. And so for three years, I bounced from business to business to business, learning their financial statements, learning how manufacturing works, how not-for-profits work, how all the different uh, companies work. And I just I just wanted to, to do that. I thought, man, I can do this. Yeah. This is this looks fun. Well, that's an important part of the company, too, the, you know, having yes. someone to handle that uh, side of the business. But do you get out in the field, too, or are you out there? I absolutely started in the field. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> I started on packouts. I remember, um, gosh, early on, all of the adjusters that I know today knew me when I was pregnant. That's over 10 years because I had three kids, and it seemed like every time they saw me, I was out in the field pregnant, either doing a pack out or doing an estimate. So. Oh, while you were pregnant. Nice. All right. Hard working people. Cliff, <laughs> okay, well, as a woman, what were the biggest challenges that you faced in the restoration industry, and can you talk about how you overcame them? Hmm. You know, um, sometimes it's difficult um, when there's a lot of men and they're having their cigars and brandy and, you know, I get that. Um, Sometimes you're not welcome in those type of conversations um, or you're just not comfortable in those conversations. And, you know, you just learn to respect that everybody's right in their own opinion and, you know, give them the respect that they need. But um, never back down when, you know, you're offered to be a part of something. Um, as I said earlier, I was an accountant. I was an auditor. And in the accounting industry, I was, it was all men. Uh, so I, I did see a lot of challenges there. And, you know, I just, I just had to not let that affect me, kind of develop some thick skin. You know, I guess you talked about respect and, you know, respecting how men might, uh, you know, like to smoke, drink, cuss, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, does, does it go the other way? Did you found, find that men 
would, would respect you as a woman and, and you know, kind of tone it down a little bit. Absolutely. Um, throughout, we would find that, you know, when a woman comes in the room and her presence is there, there was certainly um, many men that would, you know, show respect in that. Um, so that was that was certainly, I always felt, I never felt like I was, uh, someone was coming against me because I was a woman. Uh, and, you know, you, you ask, a male-dominated industry, maybe in the work side it's a male-dominated, but I've also felt like I had an advantage over men um, many times because, you know, as far as the end user, I have a better connection with the end user. You know, when I would go into a job and bid head-to-head against a man, I would walk out every time I would get that job because I, I recognized things that the guys didn't. That's so, I mean, I didn't know I'd feel like I was... That's interesting. I, I, Dina, most of our listeners are familiar with uh, Dina Dwyer Owens, and she was the keynote here. And, in fact, we've got uh, Mark Wellstead, the president of Rainbow International, coming up after the halftime break. But um, when she was on Undercover Boss, everybody knows she was on... Most people know she was on Undercover Boss. And when she was out with the woman, that's... That's something I picked up there, that um, she had a connection with the homeowner, which was really nice. Uh, one more quick one for you, Tammy. I, I think you answered this for me, but I don't know if it answered for everybody else. The the Olin Summit here had, I think it was a half a day or a pre-summit meeting with just the women. Yes. Right. Yeah, we want to know what happened. What happened? We weren't allowed in there. <laughs> what happened? Well, we were able to wear our high heels. Okay. We could laugh. We could cry. We could um, wear our jewelry. And those are things that, you know, as a woman, I don't do in the industry. I don't come out to a job site wearing my high heels and have my attire in any particular way. I would be always very conservative. And, you know, when the women get together, we can talk about, you know, our private things that we wouldn't talk about in front of men. Those fur coats in the summertime. (laughs) Hey, yeah. Well, until you, until you, I, I was like, well, wait a minute now. You're allowed to have a woman only thing, but we can't have a man only. But then when you started talking earlier about how, you know, being with the men and their brandiness and that, you kind of leave them, leave them be, you know. Yeah. I thought, well, I guess we do have male only things all the time, and I just don't know it because it's my perspective versus a female perspective. Well, and, you know, while we were in the class, um, I kept saying to myself, all right, when, you know, she was saying this particular thing would help us in the industry, and I thought, wow, my husband needs to hear that, or, you know, my office manager needs to hear that. This is something that's relevant to everyone. Um, but there, there comes this point in time when you have a question that is um, real deep to the heart that you, as a woman, you're not going to let that defense down if you're around men. Um, and that's one of the ways that we as women can make it in this industry is we build our defenses, we keep our walls up that um, we don't want to show that vulnerability. This is like an opportunity to decompress, I guess, yeah. some of the built up. Share some time with people that are in the same situation you're in. Well, a lot of the same. I mean, you have women in this industry are oftentimes mothers. They're oftentimes wives. They have... You know, my kids texting me while I'm in class, you know, so 
he's not doing this. I'm trying to get him to do this, and you told me I was in charge, you know. Uh, okay, I got you. We still have to manage that household as well as manage that business. Well, we have made a concerted effort to get more women on the show in the last year, and we appreciate you helping us out with that because um, <laughs> Absolutely. I got a little slack from a female listener about two years back, and I said, I'm going to, from now on, do everything I can, and we appreciate that <laughs> and very much. My wife has a sign on her desk, and it says, a woman's place is in command. <laughs> hey, well, we're going to take a short break. Uh, thank our sponsors, Jess, and uh, we'll be back in about, what, 90 seconds with the second half of our interview. We've still got a great group of people standing by to finish up, so we'll be right back. Stick with us. Thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanclenfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back with the second half of our Baker's Dozen from the Beoland Executive Summit in Canton, Ohio. What a lovely place, by the way. This uh, Kent State Stark Campus, very nice. The people here have been wonderful. Facilities excellent. Facilities tremendous. Uh, Food's good. Good food and uh, a really good time. And and I got to meet a new gentleman here that I hadn't met before, and I don't think you had either. Clint. Mark, Mark Wellstead is the president of Rainbow International, and... Um, Mark, we've never met before. I'm just curious. Are you from the industry, the disaster restoration industry, or did you just get into this? I just got into it. I've been with uh, Rainbow a couple of years now, as vice president of operations and president now for almost six months now. So, uh, okay. uh, brand new to the industry, got here as fast as I could. What, <laughs> what, what, what were you in before? I'm just curious. Uh, what, um, my background is finance. Finance guy? So, uh, CFO of some companies, uh, VP finance for a general contractor, consulting, those kinds of things. Let's see. Well, then this first question is perfect for you because Cliff and I, we thought long and hard last night about what to ask who. You're the president of one of the largest restoration franchisers in, in the world. How do things look from 30,000 feet? Is someone coming in from the outside 
Um, what do you see within our industry? Is there anything that you know you really like? Anything that you're concerned about? Uh, what's your overview from thirty thousand? Well, as a franchiser, obviously, we have a different perspective than some of the other people in the room, and so that's a little bit different. Uh, we've had a very good year, and, and we've been a beneficiary of a tremendous first quarter, as everyone has, and uh, we're cautiously optimistic about the balance of the year. But it, the landscape in terms of insurance carriers, how that's uh, mitigated, how they form their plans, the TPAs, and, the, and, and then all of our independents as well, it, it's a constant mix, and... and uh, uh, we have to be, we have to be as nimble as we can to to deal with uh, the changing landscape. Is that something you didn't expect coming in? Well, I think I think we've uh, recognized uh, that we need to be. I think uh, we've been a, we've been Rainbow International has been around for thirty years and has evolved from a, a carpet cleaning company into a, to a major restoration company, and that's uh, obviously it speaks to them. Uh, the, concept and the Dwyer group is evolving with the industry involved. We just need to make sure that we're nimble as we go forward and, and uh, assess the, the landscape. And by the way, I wanted to start with, and I forgot to thank uh, Chuck and his group for a tremendous uh, tremendous event here. I've got to meet a lot of good people, tremendous presentations, great educational opportunity. It's been great. Yeah, it's good stuff, Chuck, as always. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Joe. You know, you franchise, or Rainbow, not you, uh, Rainbow franchise disaster restoration services in different countries. We do. And what are the most notable differences between how disaster restoration work is done and, and how companies operate in the United States versus some of the other countries uh, in which you franchise? Well, I think uh, obviously building materials is different. We had our German franchisee over in Waco recently and was marveling at how we throw buildings together <laughs> and versus what he encounters. And so that not only changes how you dry and, and how you uh, restore, but then also how, how losses affect those, those structures as well. And, and his, his landscape is different as well in terms of the insurance industry there, how claims are, are distributed. He doesn't have TPAs to deal with like we do, and so it's, it's just a different landscape. Third-party, but the, the acronym police missed you there. Third-party administrators, I just want to sure. throw that out. Are you doing a lot with I guess you have no choice, right? You're well, I mean, that's where the industry is, and uh, certainly we recognize that as our franchisees, if, if claims are aggregated through TPAs, then we want them to have access to the claims, so that's not a bad thing for us. Sure. So uh, it's still it's a good thing. It's uh, just it changes requirements and, and, and makes everybody, again, be nimble as to how they react to all those things. But, um, you know, different TPAs are different different strengths in different areas, and... Uh, and each individual region and each individual franchisee needs to be able to deal with it. And I, well, I don't mean to cut you off on anything further on the Problem. international. Problem. Um, how? What countries do you see the growth in? I mean, unless I don't want to get any. Uh, well, no, that's fine. One of the things to the Wire Group, we have we represent seven brands, and uh, I think uh, Dina, who was the keynote yesterday, was was saying that we're always looking for new and better brands to. to put into our family, and so that's always true. And we aren't represented in Europe as much as we would like to be. Okay. And so uh, as we go forward, not only our, our German presence, but our total European presence, we feel we're at a platform where we can really expand there. So Germany's a, a, an area that... Uh, Germany's centrally located at the least all of Europe. Ah, uh, okay. 
So uh, uh-huh. nice staging, uh, nice um, stepping off point for us. Are you in the UK as well? We're in the UK. We have about 80 franchises in the UK as well. Uh, so, uh, the, the language is the same. I suspect that you have to take the training materials and the product labels and all this other stuff and you know, translate it into... Surprisingly enough, I was in Germany about a month ago and uh, everybody I talked talk to spoke English, which was amazing. And uh, in fact, we have three German uh, folks coming in next weekend to Waco, Texas for some training. And so it's it's English being the language of business, it, it works pretty well. It's international language, yeah. You know, I was, I was sitting in this personality class today, and they're trying to tell me, like, what my personality is. Good luck. Yeah, every, German, <laughs> every German person I've ever known has a very precise personality. Yeah, they, yeah, I think the whole country is very precise. They are, um, I think... Uh, our German franchisee was saying they, at one point, I think this is urban legend, that the Germans were trying to regulate the bend of a banana. <laughs> <laughs> if there's something they can measure and regulate, they want to do that. All right. <laughs> Mark, thanks so much for joining us. All right, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate having you. Appreciate and, uh, it. Good time. Speaking international, um, we've got an international kind of guy here to my left, Tony Wheelwright. He's the chairman of the IICRC. He's a Canadian. Now, he's been... British and African and several other things over the years, uh, and uh, Rhodesian. Is that correct, Tony? That's correct. Uh, yeah. So, and and also, Tony, you just got back from um, some global. I mean, you've been traveling around the world trying to promote the IICRC, our standards, certification, and um, curious what what your thoughts are with respect to you know specialty cleaning and restoration. Are they really a global business? Uh, yes, so thank you for inviting me, Joe and and uh, uh, Cliff. It's nice to see you again. It's uh, and thank you, Chuck, for putting this together. Uh, there's a lot of great people here, and it's a really good show you've put on. Um, politics can be dirty, but dirt is never political. Unhealthy, unsafe, and unsanitary conditions can be found everywhere on the planet. And so our industry uh, should be a lot more important and a lot more recognized globally. And I think I was at the same event that uh, Mark just referred to where... He was amazed how many people spoke English. This was a huge trade show in Amsterdam, 30,000 people from 130 countries. Every booth, the main signage was in English. It didn't matter if it was a Russian or Hungarian or Spanish or Polish cleaning association. The sign was in English, and everybody spoke English. And they are very hungry for training They have no training programs like ours. They have no standards like ours. So he's right. There's a massive opportunity in Europe. And, of course, Germany is the biggest country uh, and the biggest economy. I'd also like to pick up on something that Pedro raised. Uh, We currently only have, at the RSUSC, we have one uh, Latino instructor, and I believe only a couple of courses that have been translated into Spanish. Um, But we have plans to translate more of our courses and our standards into other languages 
starting with Spanish because it is a global language. Well, certifications, I guess certification exams, do we have any of those in yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Okay. yeah, we have a couple. Okay, great. Cliff? Well, you know, you kind of have what some people think might be an English accent, and if you were king of the IICRC instead of chairman of the IICRC, what's one thing that you could just wave that wand and change? What's the one thing that you'd change? Well, I think that in order for us to be more globally recognized, even locally and nationally recognized, <clears throat> we need to work together. We have a tremendous wealth of talent across all the industries, many of whom are represented here by leaders of different associations. And I would just love to see all of us working together in every way that we can. And there are many, many ways that we can work together to, to bring more uh, respect and recognition to our industry, to help the the general public understand that what we do, all of us, whether we're restorers or carpet cleaners or rug cleaners or home cleaners or maid services, we all do one thing the same, and that is create safe and healthy environments in schools and homes and workplaces. That's what I'd like to work towards is us being a united front recognized and appreciated much more than we are right now. You know, you, you talk about Europe. Do you think that cleaning is more appreciated there uh, than it is here or in other parts of the world? Or, or it's, it's difficult to answer that question. Um, certainly if you drive from Norway, Sweden, through Germany, through France, through Spain into North Africa or southern Italy, you will see a difference, a marked difference between the appreciation or level of uh, cleanliness, dirty sidewalks, dirty junk on the roads. Uh, they're far cleaner in the northern uh, countries. Don't know why. <coughs> Um, but I saw the same thing at the opposite end. As the further away you got from the equator and towards the southern tip of South Africa, it got cleaner again. I don't know if it's the food or the weather or the heat or, or what it is, but it's very difficult to generalize about the subject like that, Cliff. Um, in some ways, the North American is, is much more attuned to uh, you know, sanitary hand soap. And I'm not sure that that's always such a good thing. You know, you know, one of the things, I've been over to the ISSA show there many times in, in Ryan, Amsterdam, and I, I was just amazed by all the different equipment, you know, that was developed in Europe and the technology and, you know, the steam cleaning that we have here, the little steam sanitizing units all came from Italy. And right. They, they just seem to have really, really good engineering in terms of, you know, putting together uh, and you don't see a lot of the European manufacturers selling successfully in the United States, so they must be selling it someplace, which is why I asked the question. Somebody must be buying it and using this stuff. The, the, our industry is not as developed in Europe as it is here. Um, 
but they're out there. I, I was amazed. I met somebody from Moldova. Most people haven't even heard of this place. It's stuck between Ukraine and Romania. There's copper cleaners there. <laughs> they don't have wall-to-wall carpet, but they have rugs on hot surfaces. And they just want to learn everything they can possibly learn. Uh, but there's nowhere local for them to access a place like this and rub shoulders with people like we. We take this for granted. And um, we'd like to help them. But it's going to take a concerted and united effort by all of us. That's a great point. We take this for granted. I, I appreciate that. And we appreciate, as always, having you join us, Tony. It's been great and great to spend a little time with you here. We also have a couple of other uh, presidents, chairmen of the uh, industry associations here at the table. And I want to bring in Scott Stamper. He's the uh, president of the Restoration Industry Association, new, newly elected, I think. Newly elected. How long have you been the president now, Scott? Four years. It feels like four years. It's been a month and a half. <laughs> it's great to meet you, by the way. Good. Good to be here. Good to see Cliff again. Uh, thanks to Chuck for allowing me to come to this uh, summit. Um, I'm one of those people that sometimes I think I've learned everything I need to learn, and I come here and uh, a lot of answers today to so some questions I had. So thank you, Chuck. It was great. Stuff. Hey, you. I don't think people realize that maybe they do. I don't know that you have what three different locations now, or is it more than that? I have three different locations, three brick-and-mortar locations. And these are DKIs? What's the formal name of it? Uh, my formal name is Regency DKI. Regency DKI. Started off as Regency Construction. Uh, thought we were a little bit more, so then we went to the DKI, and uh, so far, so good. Uh, I've got locations in... My first location opened and the second location was in 2005 in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, and in 2011, I opened up in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. When you opened up in Florida, was it in anticipation of hurricane business, or was it you know, during a hurricane, you know, like falling hurricane is when you went down? Sitting in the state of Michigan watching all these storms come in, it seemed very uh, uh, enticing. Uh, I opened up just after Wilma came through, and for all those who are mad about a non-landfalling hurricane hitting the state of Florida, Ever since I've opened my doors there, there hasn't been a landfalling hurricane in Florida. <laughs> so uh, eventually a couple tropical storms. But uh, I opened up um, in anticipation of there being a gold mine. Um, but then I realized that I had to make this a business. I had a strong financial commitment there. And uh, I started it from scratch, in essence. We built our relationships. It was not a quick process. And it took a lot of time and commitment. You know, what are the biggest challenges of running a disaster restoration business in multiple cities that, I guess in your case, or could be, I guess the greatest distance might be over a thousand miles between Michigan and Florida? You know, as a owner-operated office, I'm not a franchise, an owner-operated office in each of them, you know, one of the difficulties is I found that my policies and procedures had to be solid. But the second one, real issue was, is that I had to have everyone buy into them because you don't realize that even though I'm not running the day-to-day -day operations in my Michigan office, is that a lot of what happens and a lot of what people do every day is fed off me. And I can't be at these other offices all the time. You really have to have people buy into your systems, buy into the way you look at the industry. Otherwise, it just winds up being some other company somewhere 
that somebody says to you, oh, Regency did this, and they did it this, this, and this. I'm like, excuse me? We don't do it that way. So maintaining that consistency um, from office to office is difficult. When you opened up in Florida, did you bring down staff uh, from Michigan? Did, you know, they, they moved down to Florida in order to run the business? I have a, uh, um, we opened up Florida. We had, uh, I, I relocated uh, a super guy. He's actually my wife's first cousin went down there. And uh, we started with one employee. And um, it's tough going from the Midwest, especially to su- South Florida, uh, different types of personalities. It killed me forever to try to figure it out. I, it, yes, it's very comfortable moving somebody, but if you don't have people that know the land, know the personalities, know how to operate within that culture, um, it's difficult. So, you know, we, we've changed over the years. Um, you like the comfort level of sending somebody down, but, you know, they're in a foreign land as well. If I was a reasonably successful disaster restoration person that had a pretty good-sized business in one city, and I decided that, like you, uh, I wanted to open up in another area, what are the things I should what are the most important things I should think about before pulling the trigger? Make sure when you're doing your original hiring and looking to move that you have a strong sense of who these individuals are um, because you will not be able to babysit them every day. Um, that's probably the key, I believe. The second item is, and again, thanks to the and Executive Summit, I learned why this, um, is I'm always looking for, I get bored with something and I'm looking for a new challenge. If you're looking for a new challenge, realize this. The newness will go away. Uh, you will wind up commuting sometimes to a place that's a lot further than your office. And, uh, um, you know, it's not always about opening a new challenge to your life. It's sometimes maintaining that this is reality. And uh, if you don't do it right, it could be an expensive proposition. Just curious, before you go, Scott, what... You're the RIA president. Kind of, I know you're kind of just getting your feet wet with that. What's your goals for the organization? Do you have any specific goals that you'd like to see over the next couple of years? Thank you. First off, any information, any listeners uh, that would like any information that are not RIA members, they can go on the Internet, www.restorationindustry.org, hit contact us, pick any person that's on that list. We need volunteers. We need counsel people, we need uh, committee members. One of the things that I've done is I've given a directive okay, uh, and set out my goals and we're working towards taking our council, our council structure, which is our restoration council, our, our contents council, our environmental council, our Canadian council and our vendor council and put it out there that guys, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to have this council, you need to be providing benefits that not only keep our current members, but bring in new members. And those benefits need to be known, and they need to attract like-minded people. We need to build ourselves within ourselves, and the councils need to attract membership. We have the opportunity to represent our industry in, in ways with all kinds of people who have influence on us and actually put, start putting some pressure on them. But safety is in numbers. We need people to get together. As Tony said, we need to look ways that we can build bridges uh, because as an industry, we are really underrepresented. We really are. We're pushed around a whole lot. And um, the only way we are going to ever combat that is to get together as an an industry and start working together on things. 
Thank you, Scott. We Thank appreciate you, appreciate you joining it. us. And uh, let's move over real, real quick. We're going to bring Ross Driscoll in. Driscoll and Driscoll. I believe I've got that right, Ross. Good to meet you. Good to see you again, actually. Nice to see you guys And uh, welcome. We're going to talk a little bit about contractor insurance, right? Uh, what's the current trend? How's the pricing? What's the coverage? And disaster restoration. And do you do indoor air quality? Like consulting insurance, too? Or is that yeah, we do consultants. Anybody involved in anything environmental, anything that stinks or can kill you, we're in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the, what's the uh, pricing trends like? How do we look? Well, here's the thing. The restoration market is more of a mature market now because, you know, we've been writing restoration contractors for 10-plus years, so it's not new like it was, um, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago when the pollution exclusions first came out. Now it's a mature market. Um, and being more of a mature market, what's happening now is the companies are starting to see the increased loss activity, you know, because, you know, by nature they're contractors and you get construction defects claims, and they don't show up in the first year. They start showing up in year six, year seven, year eight. It takes a while, huh? Right. Work its way through the pipeline and all right. Well, you know, somebody's got to realize they have a problem and they may not figure it out for three or four or five years. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so it's not uncommon for the losses to start showing up years down the road. They don't hit when you write it. They hit later. So that when you're writing contractor liability or pollution liability, those policies tend to have a long tail. Okay. You know, that they could be lingering out there for many, many years. Um, so what's happening is um, the market's flat for best-in-class risks with, with receipts that aren't, but that are actually maybe increasing a little bit but not staying stagnant. Um, you know, the market's pretty much flat. The days of the 15% rate reductions that we've seen each year the last five years are over. Okay. Um, you know, because of the losses are starting to come in. Um, but here's what will happen. Those with, those with losses going forward as the market starts to constrict and tighten, because um, it's the natural cycle, hard market, soft market cycle, um, are going to pay more in rate increases than they would have in the past. Um, the, the restoration market right now is dominated by 12 different carriers. Uh, or actually, there's 12 carriers that actually dominated by seven carriers that are, that are really active and four brokers. The other thing, too, is that the carriers are, are, very, are vastly different. You know, so, so people could be shopping price, but they shouldn't be shopping price because the coverage forms between all the companies can vary dramatically. Okay. Um, so the other thing, too, is, is you know, the companies... Um, still want the, the best risks, and the underwriters will get a little aggressive for best-in-class risks. Um, the other thing, too, is in the future, uh, you know, risks or, or people involved in um, IAQ or disaster restoration um, need to make sure that they have the best-in-class internal uh, risk management practices in place. Um, if they have those, they'll still be able to get competitive, competitive pricing as the market constricts. Uh, so, and especially if if they've had a claim, you know, if they've had a claim, they want to be able to prove to a company that they have, you know, best in class risk management practices. That the, maybe the loss was an anomaly. We expect to have a large loss every ten years, you know. But if somebody's having a lot of little claims, um, we know that there are big big loss waiting to happen. Okay. So, you know, risk management um, risk risk management going forward is going to be key. And uh, with respect to pricing, because you asked me about pricing, um, you know, the market's been soft the last five years. So there comes a point where 
you can't drop price anymore. So what's happened over the last few years is the companies have been giving up coverage. So they've been, they've been offering uh, variations in the coverage form. The insurance companies. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, brokers like myself have been going to the companies on behalf of our clients and the brokers we work with, and they say, okay, you're not going to give us any price negotiating. Uh, well, how about some forms? You know, they've got claims made. How about occurrence? Um, or they, they uh, maybe they have a, um, if they have claims made, they have to deal with a, with a prior retro date. So let's give them an else. You know, let's make it so they never have to buy a tail. You know, so we've done stuff like that. We've done stuff like uh, getting some carriers to throw in. There, there's one company out there right now that will actually cover workmanship. Um, and, of course, workmanship's always excluded from the general liability. Um, you know, so, um, you know, the pricing was, the pricing was low, <clears throat> but now um, there's nowhere to go with pricing. There's nowhere to go with forms. There's, there's just nowhere to go. We're, we're at the bottom of the pricing cycle. Um, so that's basically what I've got for you today. Well, that's good. I think you answered both questions. Yeah, and we, we appreciate you joining us, and I know Chuck appreciates you being a sponsor here. We appreciate Chuck having us here, and thanks for asking me to do this today. Thank you, Ross. Much appreciate. Hey, we're going over to Brian O'Halleck next. Brian is the president of the new, I guess, IICRCA, right? The uh, Council of Associations, and I had the opportunity. Brand spanking new. Uh, Brand spanking new. Got to spend some time with you in Nashville. That was nice. A little more here, Brian. Um, all right. What's your vision? Uh, well, first, what is the IICRCA? What, 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 what is it? I mean, I've heard a couple things, and I know a little bit about this. Well, the IICRCA, the CA stands for Council of Associations. But really, it's a meeting point for every organization in the industry. Um, we've been, we, we all know that we have a lot of organizations in our industry that, that work along the same lines, and probably would do well to collaborate more than we do now. And over the years, we've tried different methods of getting people together, getting different uh, associations together, and uh, they've all had different degrees of success. Uh, now I think we've got a framework that can work quite well that will allow that collaboration and, uh, and also allow every member organization to have a voice. I think it might even be a little more than a framework because um, you also have some financing as well in, in order to do that. So it's not like a um, checkbook. And I think. Well, and as, as uh, Scott mentioned, he said safety in numbers, but there's also influence in numbers. And we as a group can do a lot more than any any of our organizations can do alone and there's all kinds of ways we can we can use that collaboration uh, we can we can save our costs a little bit uh, hopefully we can provide better benefits for our members um, and ultimately uh, there'll be gains for everyone in the industry whether they're a member of an association or not yeah you know, I I just wonder how they found you for this position. You seem like the perfect guy for this position in, in talking to you. You know, you're real. That talk's real good. Calm. You talk real good. <laughs> but you're, uh, you know, you, you got a nice, even kind of uh, keel going there. You know, is that, 
how did they figure out you you were the guy? Was there an election? How did this happen? Well, there was an election. Okay. And I'm, I I think I didn't understand the process. <laughs> uh, but the uh, I think the main thing, what they were looking for, and if you look at the makeup of the board of this council, they're all very reputable people, great people. Any one of them could have or maybe should have been uh, the chairman. But uh, I think what this was done with a purpose to let people in the industry know that this is not something that anyone needs to be afraid of. It's not an organization that's going to overpower anyone. We're all about collaboration and working with people. So we've got to prove that. We've got to be sure that we can let people know that, well, through our actions, that there's some integrity and uh, and they can, we'll have to prove that people can, can trust us. You know, what sort of progress uh, has been made you know, since you were elected? Well, uh, in, initially, um, there's a real good foundation that's been laid by the preceding borrowed board uh, that was loaned from the ICRC, but it's a big framework with lots of things on it. So what we've tried to do is narrow it down to maybe three or four things we really need to work on, focus on something, get it done all the way 100%. Um, and to start with, we're identifying revenue sources. Um, we've got to start working on our our planning for our convention and trade show. Our members have asked for that. Um, there's some computer system ideas that we think we can put software together uh, that can help all of the member organizations that none of them could do on their own. Um, but all of them take time. And any member organization exists to benefit their members. So they've got to listen to their members. And we're still in the listening phase. This is a great time to be involved, actually, uh, because this is a time when people can come in and say, here's what you can do for me. How does this work? Is, is uh, IHCRCA still open to uh, additional groups that would want to join? Certainly. And I think our parameters are they, they're connected to the cleaning industry in some way. Um, and one of our members is the Wood Floor Association. Or something that we clean. And, and they, their product needs to be cleaned. Um, they need to be involved with that. So they found it important to be involved. Brad, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate having you. I got another thanks, president. Sir. I'm going to pull in President Rawhauser. I don't know if you wanted to be president or not, Kent, but somehow you ended up as the president of the Indoor Air Quality Association. It's great to have you with us, and good to see you again, uh, Kent. Good, uh, first of all, you are a—you um, got a special award at the beginning of the week here uh, as the only the only tenured guy at the Violand Executive Summit. Is that correct, Chuck? That's correct. He's the man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What 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 do you? Why are you here as much as you are? I'm just. Did you really take the? Need to take the exam ten times. <laughs> Chuck keeps telling me that I'm going to get a degree of some sort. Okay, right. just next year. Next year. Like I think he told me uh, earlier, he likes the guys that that don't get it very quickly and they have to come back time and time again to uh, to, to get it. So, has it helped your business? It's helped my, it, you know, it's helped my business tremendously. You know, we've been. Um, been going yeah for ten years. So the first the first year, yeah, uh, Chuck. I, I've worked with Chuck for a long time, so I, I knew uh, a little bit about his dream to do this. And uh, the first year to, to to take it off was just his clients only. 
and uh, we, we had two classes that were there were only two classes, and they were just magnificent classes on communication and on and on conflict. And uh, from that point on, it, it has simply grown, and uh, the offerings. It's been great to see how Chuck and Violin have have shifted what goes on at the summit to really fit what's going on in the industry or going on with with owners uh, of of restoration businesses. Because, like probably most restoration uh, business owners, I don't have a degree in business, and so that we we need to understand some of the things that that go on. I I can do the work really well. Yeah. They change enough every year that there's something new for you every year. I, I mean, that's yeah. I think that's interesting, and, and it's a credit to the to the group that yeah. puts it on here. Uh, and they're they're all very welcoming. It's been great to be a part of it. Um, you want to go? You want me? To yeah, no, I, I can do the first one. Um, you know, it's kind of unusual. You're a disaster restoration guy, and you're president of the Indoor Air Quality Association. Do you kind of feel like? there's a fit, or do you think there's kind of a misfit with you being there? So what's, what's really interesting to, to know about the IAQA is uh, it's, uh, the membership is actually 40% contractors. Okay. Uh, it's disaster response and mold remediation, abatement. Um, environmental is a huge part of, of, of the makeup. Uh, I think I'm the second president in 17 years that's actually a contractor. And uh, it, it, it it fits really well because where do we get our business from? We get our business from a lot of consultants. And then, you know, the standards that are eventually made have to come from the educators and the researchers. So we get a chance to be in contact with, with the educators and the researchers that are developing the things that are going to come down the pipe that eventually are going to put in the standards that, that a contractor is going to have to. And, you know, would you agree that the business goes both ways because a lot of the uh, contractors need to have some sort of indoor environmental professional, uh, you know, involved with some of the product projects that they did for liability reasons and, and such. Absolutely, and it, one of probably one of the key things is that it's helped it's helped us, my company, to identify the, the consultants who are really legitimate and good consultants because. It, a lot like the restoration industry, the, the, the guys that are kind of fly-by-night, don't, they don't show up for things like this. And it's the same way with consultants. The ones that, that are more fly-by-night or in it you know, just to, to make a few bucks, they don't show up with, at the training uh, events. So it's helped us narrow it down that way, too. So will we see more contractor-related topics at the convention? Yeah, we, which thanks for asking the question, Joe, because every year we try to get more and more contractors to present. And this is a, an outreach to contractors. Uh, there's a call for papers. Don't be intimidated by a call for papers. If you have a project that was a, an unusual project or you've had some experiences, a series of projects, something that you've done as a contractor, the the committee doesn't force you to write a paper and to do you know to do the white paper and to do all the presentation. They what they ask is that you plan your presentation and you don't walk in on on Monday and say here's my presentation to do on Tuesday like most planning people uh, would appreciate. So you just have to put the presentation together and then it goes through a committee. It's got to be approved. But uh, the committee right now is really hungry for contractors to come and speak. You know, one thing that I was going to suggest, and this is something uh, Joe and I got our arms twisted by, by Pete Consigli to go yeah. to Purdue and to, to go to this global disaster planning yeah. meeting. And, I mean, they had people from all over the world. They had this fellow that 
works with the World Bank and yep. uh, CDC and, was there. And all all these people were there. All these PhDs and multiple PhDs. I mean, it, it was it was crazy. And actually, the panel that we were on got the best reviews of all the presentations uh, that were there, and it was just quite informal. We had to, you know, we knew what the questions were before and just kind of had to respond to them. So something like that might work really, really well uh, at your event. It yeah. would. Uh, and they, what they brought in, which was really, you know, we had Cliff and Rusty uh, Amarante from Belfort representing the restoration side, but then they brought in two guys from the demolition, demolition side. And I don't think we get enough of those guys. And, I'm, you know, uh, listeners know I'm a longtime IAQA supporter. I don't think we get enough of those guys in the organization. Um, they have a lot to offer to the rest of us. Oh, yeah. No, this whole demolition thing was, I mean, I was watching this movie that they had from the association, and I think if I had seen this equipment earlier, I think I would have gone into that business because it's <laughs> <laughs> really, really cool. <laughs> that it's awesome. yeah. Yeah. It's a good contractor right there. It's often get paid for it. It was really, 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 really good. So just real quickly, so we've had a call for papers. Here it is a call to you. Submit something, and I have some pretty good influence over the committee. I think we can probably get you and Joe back at the uh, – in, uh, we're in Texas next year, so, so there's a formal ask. Okay, perhaps we can do something. All right, okay. Kent, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. We're going we're running a little over, folks, but hey, we don't have. We don't, we're not on TV. They're not telling us we got to stop. We're gonna finish up with Mickey Lee and then Chuck Viola, and I figure we'll let it wrap. We'll wrap it up with the Viola guys. If that's all right. Mickey Lee, who's a new. The old guy. Uh, how long now? A couple months? Well, actually, I, uh, yes, about two months now. And uh, I have really appreciated Chuck bringing me on to consult with a few of their clients. So I'm doing that on a part time basis and really have appreciated Chuck and uh, his team. And uh, they put on a, a great uh, program here this week. So. Well, it seemed that, you know, your skill set and uh, uh, the needs of people that want to expand their businesses and, uh, you know, Kind of live the dream. I mean, you've already been there, so it's, it's like a match made in heaven. Well, I, I think so. Also, I have been a small uh, business uh, general contractor uh, back in the '80s, and so I've, you know, I've had a lot of experience uh, in uh, developing small businesses and operations and all of that. So I, I think it's a good match. And uh, particularly when you listen to what Bill Yaden said about this demand for water damage mm -hmm. courses, and you know. Well, we'd, we'd be remiss, uh, Mickey, if we didn't uh, bring up the S-500. You, uh, you're the chair, is that correct on that, or is that? That is correct. I am. Uh, have been the chair of the S-500 for going uh, about a year and a half. About a year and a half. Yes. Well, uh -huh. you are a brave man, sir. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate your uh, taking the slings and arrows. And, uh, you know, where are we at? Uh, let's let's figure it out. Are we going out for a third review? Are we not? Where, where are we with the... Uh, we're, at, we're absolutely going out for a third review, Joe. And uh, we, we the consensus body is absolutely uh, respectful and committed to the ANSI uh, process. Uh, I, for, I would like to thank uh, everyone who uh, of our listeners here who have uh, taken the effort uh, to read the document and then play, send their comments in to them. Uh, we've had two 
public review periods so far. The first one was back last spring, and then the second one was uh, uh, late uh, 2013, December and January. Uh, we have just completed uh, responding to all of their comments, and those responses will be going out within the next couple of weeks. Uh, so that uh, public review period will be for those substantive changes that we've made since the second draft, and that will be a 30-day public review, and there will be notices on the IACRC board uh, to uh, certified contractors, news releases, and all of that. So I think everyone of uh, uh, you know everyone will have an opportunity to uh, respond on those. Uh, uh, third round of uh, substantive uh, changes that we've made to it. And uh, so once that's done, then we will take those responses and uh, comments, and uh, hopefully uh, the third quarter we'll have a, a document uh, uh, hitting the streets. Have the number of comments gone down between the first and the second? Were there more the first time, less the second? or Yes, okay. yeah, absolutely. They, they, they were less, and... Uh, the the document is without a doubt going to be a better document because of the public reviews. I am uh, I believe that firmly. Uh, even uh, you know during this third uh, round that we're going through, we've uh, or since the second, we have made a lot of clarifications uh, to some of the language, and uh, we appreciated the comments and those who have uh, you know really taken the time to do that. Can you talk about what? are the most contentious issues in terms of the document. You know, it's, it's interesting, Cliff, that you ask for contentious. Uh, I think of contentious and difficult, okay? Okay. So there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of difficult issues, okay. so we wanted to clarify the some of the definitions, categories, classes, and we also wanted to, it was, it was uh, uh, I'm not sure what a difficult is the right word there, but, but we wanted to apply the third-party science to a very complex building components, uh, you know, uh, assembly, because a building is not one material. It's a whole bunch of materials that are put together. So, so there's, you know, that's been a, a challenge in, in some ways to uh, apply those sciences to the complex structure. But in terms of the, the contention, uh, the contentious uh, issue, I think everyone uh, of our listeners and uh, everyone in this room knows that it was the air mover guidelines that was the most contentious. Uh, some felt that we that the language was calling for a reduction in air movement, and uh, really that was not the case. Uh, we changed from uh, talking about just the perimeter of the room to talking about what surfaces are wet, and so it gives the contractor, the restore, I think, better guidelines on how to adjust and how to increase, how to decrease. Uh, air movers in order to uh, address the surfaces because it's the surfaces from which material that moisture evaporates and so we believe we're confident that that it's uh, uh, that changing from room perimeter to uh, surface area was the right way to uh, uh, to approach that great Mickey thanks so much I know we're, we're running short but thanks uh, it's great to see you and uh, have you back again and one more thanks, time. Joe. We're going to wrap it up with Chuck Violin, who was with us last week and previewed. Now we're going to do the post-view of the show. Actually, Chuck, it's great to have you back. Um, thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. We've had a great time. And I'll tell you, one of the highlights was the keynote, uh, Dina Dwyer Owens. Uh, what, a, what a job she did. Um, give us a 
what was your biggest uh, takeaway? Takeaway message that we can send to our listeners because she had so many. But let's give them one good one. I agree with you, Josh. I, I think she had so many. It's tough to boil it down. It was an awesome presentation, and when you had when you were able to step outside and watch the audience, she had them. It was great. It was really, it was really good to see. But probably the biggest thing that I noticed, uh, at least for me, was the importance of culture, uh, the important role that culture plays in a business. And as a lot of business owners, myself included, when we, we tend to measure things and things we can touch. And frequently we overlook the role that culture plays yeah. in the business. And I'm, I'm talking both from the role it plays in driving the direction the size of the business, to the people that we attract to our company, the way we manage those people, all the way down to, and perhaps even especially, the financial performance of the company. And fortunately, she touched on that. And it really does. It, it plays such a huge piece, and sometimes it's so easily overlooked. And she drives the, home the values of their company. And Absolutely. They, they have to repeat those every day, and they, if somebody, even if a, a boss isn't living up to one of the values, then it's expected of the employees to report that back to through the right ch command, I guess. I think she called it the beep beep. Yes, they had a beep beep <laughs> thing. If somebody didn't, somebody messed up one of the values, they got beeped, you know, and uh, I thought that was interesting. It was. And it's those values that are the building blocks of the culture. Yeah. Yeah, it was great stuff. Uh, good good presentation. I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, saw her on Undercover Boss. That was fantastic. And she used that to kind of help build the Built the presentation. It was nice. Plus, well, you got to see some of the back scene, yeah, back stuff. Yeah, that was fascinating. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. it really was. What's it really like? Yeah. Come on, no. <laughs> and, yeah, the non-disclosures and, and all that other stuff. Chuck, how many children do you have? I have four children. Four children. Yeah. And you know, it seems that you know a lot about business. I would say more than most because uh, you know you have a practice where your business is helping other people build their businesses. You know, what, what's your direction to your kids? You know, because I, I think a lot of times you have, uh, have to think about the cost of educating. And that cost might be, uh, you know, some places, uh, actually, a fellow I work with, uh, Steve Okabayashi, he has uh, a son at American University, $60,000 a year. Oh, my gosh. So it's going to be two hundred forty thousand dollars, you know, quarter of a million dollars to put this kid through school. And the question is, knowing that it's going to cost that amount of money, what are you doing with your kids? Are you telling them, you know, I think you should get an education, or I'll give you the money and why don't you start a business? Oh, great question. Uh, we helped all of our children with their educations. We did not fund the entire education. They had to have skin in the game. Okay. Uh, that was important to us. As far as the direction that they went, uh, that was also something that they, that was, you know, that was up to them. None of them, at least at this point, seem to have entrepreneurial tendencies. I don't see any of them starting their own businesses. Uh, my oldest son is 29, is an engineer, a welding engineer, works for a large company. My daughter is a doctor. She's 27, and then I have one that's a paralegal, a son, and then my baby, uh, Adrian, just graduated two months ago, or a month ago, and she has a degree in German. 
I don't know where you open a German store. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's going to be a tough one. Well, you yeah. never know. You work for the CIA. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Listen in on Angela Merkel. Like you know? <laughs> I just wonder whether you've ever discussed that or that issue comes up in, in dealing with your clients because I think you know they're you know you look at going to plumbing school or welding school or whatever, and you know these people can make a tr- tremendous amount of money in small business and control their own destiny versus, you know, working in big business. College isn't for everybody. I just don't think it is. Well, you know, you've heard what everybody else said here, Chuck, and I I think the way I would like to wrap it up, um, is there anything you would add to what, you know, we just did an hour and a half, basically. Um, Anything you'd like to add before we sign off? Certainly, the first thing I'd like to add is I'd like to thank you guys for being here and for allowing me back on the program. Um, and all, all of the other guests who were so gracious with their thanks for me, I thank them for being here. Yeah. That was really nice to have them in. And just uh, you know, you keep working on your businesses and on yourself. And as you grow, your business grows. Yeah, that was the other key point. You know, It's up to us. Uh, if it's your business and uh, it's not growing, don't look at other people. <laughs> look at them here. There's the problem. All right. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. Thank I want to thank, uh, of course, our sponsors. Of course, the Z-Man. Uh, the Z-Man and I are on the road again. But we're going home for a while. The next time we'll be together will be in August at the Healthy Buildings Conference up in uh, Chuck's coming. Seven Springs. Chuck will be there. We've got a great group. I think we got Tony coming in now. we got Dr. Hung Chung as our keynote. Uh, of course, the good doctor, Dr. Wow, will be with us. Uh, just a great group of people, and if you can join us, we uh, encourage you to do so. Uh, Jess, thank you. Great job back at the studio. I think you're still there. We've been talking so much, I haven't heard from you. I'm here, Joe. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> and we'll let you... recorder was running. Yeah, the recorder was running, and we're going to let you go get some lunch. And uh, thanks to Dottie Baby back home. I'll see you in a couple hours, babe. Uh, and, of course, most importantly to our listeners, uh, always great to have everybody joining us. Had some great comments on the show already. And we'll be back next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. You've been-